This is part three, the final show in our part-time work from home job series, What You Need to Start. I must say the series has me very excited for you. I hope I've offered you the help that I couldn't find when I was starting out. It's not easy uh, starting your own business, but you can do it. Hey moms, welcome to another episode of the Life Unboxed blog show, where we talk about all things mompreneur, from raising your kids to running a business, and the most important, to keeping your sanity. I am Jody the Mom from lifeunboxed.blog. If you are enjoying this content, please like the video, subscribe to the channel, and drop a comment below. I always want to hear the questions that you just can't seem to get answered. If you are listening to the podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. Leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. I truly appreciate it. So let's dive in. I'm not going to lie to you. Starting a business takes work and perseverance. There will be days when you ask yourself, is this worth it? But if you want the maximum amount of freedom while still working, then it is worth it. Keep pursuing your dreams of being successful on your own terms. Never give up. In the first two shows, we talked about prepare before you leap and starting a virtual assistant business. In this show, we're going to talk about some of the practical tools you need to get started. Let's get into it. So here's some practical advice to start. Imagine being in New York City, the ferries gliding along the Hudson River, with the Statue of Liberty in the background, but you find yourself caught in one of those public areas between two buildings. There are tables around you and a water feature in the corner trying to create that zen-like space in the middle of the city. You have no idea where you are. You can't see any street signs. The landmarks of scaffolding and nondescript buildings are not familiar to you. The noise is so loud that it is drowning out your own thoughts. So much for that water feature in the corner. What do you do? You were just trying to get to that restaurant with the amazing Korean food. So you pull out your phone and search for the website. And you get a list of results, but the names aren't familiar to you. The restaurant you are trying to go to doesn't have a website. Now what do you do? Well, you're in New York City, so you pick the nearest Korean restaurant and enjoy some good food. You made it to your destination, although it wasn't where you were headed. I've read so many books on the power of story that I wanted to tell you a story to emphasize the importance of a website, and I also like stories. You will miss many opportunities for clients if you don't have a website. Here are some statistics for you. The majority of U.S. consumers, about 84%, believe that a business is more legitimate if it has a website. And about 90% of consumers search for local businesses online. You need a website for your business. Gone are the days of scoring the yellow pages to look for a business. Do they even have those still? If you need help creating a website, 
I'm continuing to create more tutorials on that and I will post them to my YouTube channel. So keep coming back because you never know what you're going to find. And I'm always open to suggestions. So if there's something that uh, is missing, send me a note. You can do that on my website and I will be happy to make a video to address that question. If you just need someone to help you um, make your website, feel free to check out my business uh, site, jodierperry.com. That's J-O-D-I-E-R perry.com. I'm always happy to help you get started. Practical step number two is to create a contract and determine your fees. Whether you're offering general administration, web design, graphic design, illustration, bookkeeping services, whatever you're offering, a contract is something you need to have in your mom bag. It helps to define the relationships. Let's face it, there will be people who will try to take advantage of you. That's just how it is. And a contract will be the map and the guideline that you keep pointing them back to. So I don't say any of this to scare you. Out of all the clients that I've worked with, I've only had to refer one back to the contract and I use that to keep them in line with the terms that we agreed to. I actually reworked my contract <laughs> after working with this client. So I've worked with a number of clients and out of the many that I've worked with, I've only had to um, refer a client, one client back to the contract. Depending on your field of expertise, you want to have a few essentials in your contract. So I'm going to give you a list and it's not exhaustive. And if you've never dealt with a contract, it might be a good idea to either seek legal advice or check out one of the online um, services like Rocket Lawyer. You can also find a sample agreement on the mom bag page of my website, lifeunbox.blog, and I'll leave a link um, below to the contract so you can see it. But just as a caveat, I am not a lawyer and I'm not offering you legal advice. I am a friend who's giving you some suggestions on what you should look for uh, in a contract and what you should have in a contract. So this is in no way legal advice because I'm not a lawyer. Okay, so let's get into some of the components of a contract. Your contract should include the following. Date of service, so we have it, the date that this contract starts, the name of parties, and what each party is called throughout the contract. For example, you would be the provider and your client would be the client. So that's how I have this contract set up. You want the address of both parties. So this would be the business address on this, in this bracket here. And then your client address would be in this other contact information would be here. So you want the at your client's address for a couple of reasons. One, you want to know how to contact them. Two, if you have to uh, send an invoice to collections or go to court. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. I've never come to that. You will need their address. Also, if you want to send them a thank you gift or a thank you note, I know, you know, going old school here, but, um, you would also need their address as well. So next you would need the description of services. 
be as detailed as possible. You want to make sure that it is spelled out clearly what the client can expect from you. Because like I said, you will have some people who will take advantage of the situation or of you. And so you want to make sure that the scope of what you've agreed to is laid out in the contract and you can point back to the contract and just say, we need to uh, either renegotiate or talk about it. Because here's the thing. You may be charging them for, let's say, bookkeeping services, and they want you to write a blog. I'm just throwing these out as examples. You may charge more for your writing services than you do for your bookkeeping services or vice versa. So you want to make sure that what they are paying for you is spelled out and that if they want you for something else, your fees will need to be renegotiated. You also want to list your standard procedures. So what we have in here is I have my availability. So I'm just going to go through these real quick because I feel these are very important because this is where I've had the most difficulty uh, with clients. So availability. I spell out when I am open and I am only open Monday through Thursday. I do not work for any client on Friday. I actually work for my most demanding client on Friday and that would be me. So Fridays are reserved for uh, co-op. So I take my kid, we have a homeschool co-op that we're involved in. They are reserved for working on my websites, uh, you know, doing different things for me. They're reserved for Costco shopping, you know, all of those things. So I do not work for any client on Friday. Um, if something comes up, you know, there's always exceptions to any rule, but for the most part, everyone knows that I am not around on Friday and I only work 10 to four. I've had gotten text messages from clients and phone calls from clients at 10 o'clock at night. Don't do that. Don't start. Don't, uh, set the boundary early on with your clients that that is unacceptable behavior. The next one is expectation for delivery. So I try to give clients an idea of when they can um, expect things to be turned around because I have other things to do as well. I have other clients to manage. So if I have this expectation set out from the start, then if they need something on a tight deadline, I can charge a rush fee. So my expectation for projects that are approximately one to two hours in length, and you'll see that right here, um, the client can expect delivery between within three to four days of receiving the necessary materials. Now, this is not set in stone. This is just to give people an idea. Usually delivery is much faster than that, but I want to set the, make, set the expectation at a reasonable level. So uh, I have flexibility with other things that are going on. Rush deadlines. So this one, I still have a non-negotiable fee of $50 per hour, but I wouldn't say that that is my rate now. It would just depend on the client. As a rule of thumb, usually a rush fee would be uh, double what my standard fee is for them. Spell this out. Seriously, you, if they're going to call you and say, I need this as soon as possible, then you need to be compensated 
for dropping everything to help them. And it needs to be spelled out in your contract from the get-go. So you can point to them, say, as per the terms of the agreement, if uh, you need this uh, within this time frame, then the fee for this for this project will be this. And send that into an email, make them agree to it, and then do it. You get paid double or whatever fee you decide. The next thing you want to list in your contract is the payment for services. So this will be either uh, what you're charging for your hourly rate or the flat fee that you will be charging. It also lists if there's a setup fee involved. If you're offering bookkeeping services and you need to clean up somebody's books, I would charge a setup fee and then go from there. I also charge most clients a retainer. Um, I do this for two reasons. So I'm kind of prepaid for hours. I'm also very conservative when I estimate the hours that um, I will charge for that retainer. And if I don't work all of those hours, I do apply them to the next month's retainer. But I charge a retainer so I am prepaid for hours and I kind of know my monthly budget at the start of the month. So it just, it just helps to, with your personal finances and business finances as well. So when you're determining your fees, always have a threshold that you won't go below. And if you're unsure what to charge, Google the service and pick the mid range. That's usually what I do. If I'm doing bookkeeping and I need to come up with, I'm not sure what to charge. For example, I will Google the, that rate, the rate for bookkeepers, I will find the low range and the high range, and I will charge the mid range. Don't cheapen your services. So don't pick the lowest. And it also depends on where you live and what that, and where your client lives actually, and what that um, business can handle. So you need to also factor that in, but don't cheapen your services. Don't think if I lowball, then I'm going to get this client because you're going to be frustrated uh, if you do, if you do end up landing that client, you will be frustrated uh, with your rate. So don't lowball yourself. Pick a rate that you are comfortable working at. A couple of things to keep in mind: you are responsible for your taxes and all of your equipment that you're using. So you need to factor all of that into your rate as well. So uh, for payroll taxes, you're responsible for the entire amount of social security and Medicare. When you work, uh, your employer pays uh, part of those taxes. You pay part and they pay part. When you're an independent contractor, you pay all of it. So that all of that needs to be factored into your hourly rate. So let's say when you were employed, you were getting paid $20 an hour. You don't want to get paid $20 an hour anymore. You need to get paid more than that because you will be responsible for all of the taxes on that amount. Okay, so the next item you need to define in your contract is ownership of the product. So this is important, especially if you're offering creative services. Be very clear who owns the final product. So if ownership is transferred, you want to retain the rights to show that whatever it is you created in your personal portfolio and online 
services. So just keep that in mind, whatever it is you're, what services you're offering. And it's going to vary. Like I can't say do this for this, do that for that, um, because it will vary with each client, but you just want to make sure that the ownership of that product is defined. All right, next we're going to talk about termination. Okay. You need a termination clause. Projects will end. Clients are cra- will be crazy. So you need to make it easy to terminate the agreement for both you and your client. So, however, be clear in this section that the client is still responsible to pay you for work completed. I do have in here, I've never had an issue with the client not paying me because we had a bad parting. I've actually never had a bad parting with any of my clients, but not everyone's the same. So usually you'll have that, uh, anomaly, you know, and you may encounter an anomaly that will give you grief. So make sure your contract, um, spells out what will happen in that case. So I have that I will deliver the work product to them in whatever state of completion once I've been paid. So any paperwork, anything that I have, I keep until I get paid. Um, but again, I've never had to do that. So next is relationship of the parties. So this is the legalese place you want to make sure you're very clear on. You are an independent contractor and not an employee. So with that, there come some legal definitions of what an independent contractor is and what an employee is. So for example, an independent contractor to qualify as an independent contractor, the uh, employer or the person you're working for cannot set your schedule, cannot tell you when to work and cannot tell you how to work. So that is as an independent contractor, that is one of the things that I love because I get to tell them my time is mine and I get to set my own schedule. So the client, like I said, the client can't tell you how to work or what to work. So this is my favorite part of the agreement. And I'm just going to read it here real quick to you. So basically I'm saying like, we understand that we are both getting a benefit from our relationship and the client will keep and follow standard procedures and payments for services. That's their role. So we are acting in our own separate capacities and not as agents, employees, partners, joint venturers, or associates of one another. So it is expressly understood and agreed that the provider is an independent contractor and other than agreed upon deadlines for the work provider may set her own hours and may control the manner and place in which she performs her obligations here under. This is my favorite part and will not be supervised by the client. That's my favorite part. Okay. So next, uh, you just want to have a confidentiality clause. Your client expects you to keep your mouth shut and you should. This business that we are in is, um, really based on trust and you need to be a person who's trustworthy one because it's the right thing to do. And also 
if the client knows that you are a person who can be trusted, they will tell their friends, they will tell other business associates. Um, and this is how you will get a lot of referrals. So list your confidentiality. As you can see, it's not long. It basically agrees that if the client um, has given me information for, in the performance of what I am doing, then it's confidential. And I won't agree to communicate it. So simple. Okay, next section is our miscellaneous. So the miscellaneous includes a non-disparagement clause, my rights to use the work for marketing pur purposes, indemnity, and a few other things. So you can download this contract from lifeunbox.blog and you can see some of the um, other miscellaneous things I have in there. Finally, we have the signature lines. So this is where you both agree to the contract. So simple, right? And again, I just need to reiterate that I am not a lawyer. And so this is not intended to be taken or interpreted as legal advice. I am just a friend wanting to give you an idea of things to include and look for in a contract. And I hope it helps you. I hope it helps give you some ideas. So the third thing you need to do is tell everyone. Most of uh, the clients that I have are either people I've already known on a personal level or people that have recommended me to their friends. So despite all of our modern technologies, word of mouth is still the best way to get clients. But here's the thing. You can't just tell people once. In marketing, they say it takes seven to eight touch points before people will buy. So, and that's not you just saying, hey, here am I. It's uh, people seeing your business at least that many times before they will buy. So when I started out, I reached out to some specific people who I knew had uh, wide circles or wide networks and who I thought could actually help. So out of all those people that I reached out to, about one third actually produced something. So tell everyone that you know. I get it. You want to avoid being that annoying salesperson. I totally understand. But you do need to keep your business before people. So you can do this in person or on social media. Definitely through your website. Start a blog on your website so it keeps the content fresh. Um, post things to LinkedIn. Um, find groups in your niche. There are so many things you can do. But remember, whatever you decide to do, always provide value. Are you ready to start your own business? Be sure to sign up for the Life Unbox newsletter to keep up with tips and tricks and all the latest content to help you along the way. Don't forget to check out the Life Unboxed blog store. I'll leave the link in the description and you can get all of your mom boss swag there. I am so glad you joined me today and I really hope that this series has helped you um, either get ideas or uh, get you excited about starting your own virtual assistant business. I will leave links to part one and part two in the description below. So if you haven't had a chance to watch those, be sure to uh, hop on over and check them out. Again, I'm so glad you joined me today. Be sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel for more great entrepreneur content. 
check out lifeunbox.blog or download the podcast wherever you're listening. Thank you.